Isaiah Munane Moja Saba. Kila kiatu cha askari kilicho tumiwa vitani. Na kila vazi lilivo girishwa katika damu. Vitawekwa kwa ajili wa kuchomwa. Vitakuwa kuni za kuwasha moto. Kwa maana kwa ajili yetu mtoto amezaliwa. Tumepewa mtoto mwanaume na utawala utakakuwa mabegani mwake. Na ye ataitwa mshari wa jabu, mungu mwenye nguvu, baba wa milele, mufame wa amani, kuongezekwa kwa utawala wake na amani. Akutukua na mwisho, atatawala katika kiti cha enzi cha Daudi na juu ya ufalme wake akiutibisha na kutegemeza kwa aki na kwa adili tangu wakati uo na ata milele wivu wa bwana mwenyewe nguvu zote utatimiza yana Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 to 7 Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zabalon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the, damp, in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood would be destined for burning, would be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. What's up, y'all? Uh, <laughs> I love this community a lot, and I want to just want to share. Um, want to share a story, okay? I was sitting on the edge of my bed when I got a phone call from my dad. And before I even picked it up, I knew something was wrong. So I go, "Hey, what's what's up, pop?" He takes a deep breath and he goes, Malik has been shot, Quadir is dead. These are my first cousins. I felt like time was standing still, excuse me, time was standing still in that moment. Um, Quadir and I were only uh, three weeks apart in age with Malik, his older brother, preceding us by a year. And I was speechless, honestly, as he proceeded to explain what happened. And what I thought was another Tuesday in 2016 was a day eclipsed by tragedy. They both were shot after a conflict in Philly, and Malik survived with a bullet wound to his head, but Quadir succumbed to his injuries. 
He was survived by two young children and a wide net of relationships with people who loved him dearly, myself included. So he was a Muslim, and within their faith, burials take place really quickly. So I hopped on a plane the next day, my family and I, we went to go view his body, and we wept. And as we went on to bury him, I watched all three of his older brothers carry his body into the grave, lay him down properly, and that was that. I felt a web of emotions. On one hand, I was super sad because my cousin wasn't breathing anymore. I was thinking about his kids, who now will grow up without their daddy. I was proud of my older cousins for how they understood that they were their little brother's keeper. And I was also super angry because I wanted justice for what happened. And each of us in this room has an idea of what justice is, and we all have different reactions sometimes. Some of us get a little anxious when you hear the word justice. Some of us get a little defensive, and some of us get excited at the mention of justice. There are a variety of definitions provided in our culture, but justice is often talked about in an abstract concept when it's actually tangible because it comes through a person. I don't know what it's like to hold your brother in your arms as he's dying, but I do know that Malik's care for his younger brother was just, just because he acted on the responsibility to be his brother's keeper. Are you with me? What happened to my cousin showed that we live outside of the garden. But I've also heard another story about two brothers outside of the garden that resulted in death. Yet it's a story about not keeping your brother. So get prepared. Get your thumbs ready. You're either going to be scrolling or flipping pages. We got a lot of Bible to get through. <laughs> Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the... Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions of, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. This is the first instance of human-to-human -human injustice outside of the garden. But the question is, how did all of this come to be in the first place? If you're familiar with the story just a chapter before, there's this whole snake creature that wanted to cause harm to their parents, to see their demise, to usher them into chaos and death. Remember that snake? Anybody ever heard of this snake? It wanted to see their demise, and although Adam and Eve had to deal with the consequences of their own actions, something must be done about that creature. 
Fast forward to Cain and Abel. Did you notice that when Cain was angry, God approached him and he said, hey, you still have the opportunity to do right right now. And he warned that sin was crouching like an animal, desiring him. How is it that this whole sin-like beast thing is also like this snake in the garden? And what does Cain choose to do? Just as his parents took wisdom into their own hands, Cain took his brother's life into his. When God inquires about Abel's whereabouts, Cain responds, am I my brother's keeper? This begins a motif that will pervade throughout the biblical story of what justice is. To be just is to be your sibling's keeper. What does it mean to be your sibling's keeper? It is caring for the welfare of another. It is restoring another to what may have been lost. It is helping another flourish so that they may have life to the full. Justice is about making things right and caring for one another's needs is how we do that outside of the garden. All right, y'all waking up now, that's fine. (laughs) Oh, we're gonna have church today. Take the R out, church. (laughs) Why do I make these jokes? I'm sorry. (laughs) But notice, God hears the blood crying out. He hears the innocent cries in humanity because he is humanity's keeper. Turn with me to Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. Are you hearing the language? And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Does anybody know our brother Tim Mackey? Dude's a genius, right? (laughs) But he was teaching a class and I was sitting in on it, on this very text. And I was like, yo, there's no way that this isn't a thing. Because the story goes, this whole thing on Exodus 3, if you go to the narrative before, Moses is a Hebrew who sees an Egyptian harming a, a, he's beating a a Hebrew brother. So what does Moses go do? He says, I want to be my brother's keeper. So he goes to kill the Egyptian. But the irony is that Moses is an adopted 
adopted Egyptian. So the Egyptian that he killed is actually his brother too. So what's going on here? But then the next day he sees two Hebrew brothers going at it and he tries to mediate. And then they look at him crazy like, who are you? We saw what you did to the Egyptian. And then the reverse takes place. Whereas Moses took the life of an Egyptian, now the supreme Egyptian named Pharaoh is after his life and he flees to the east. Just like Cain had to flee to the east after he killed his brother. Are you tracking the cycle? We're going to nerd out a little bit. Okay. When I heard this in class, I was like, dog. The scriptures are lit. Now here in Exodus 3, Moses is commissioned to be the keeper of his fellow Hebrew brothers and sisters because God has heard their cries. Yo, um, when God hears cries, he's going to do something about them. He's proven that. From the first pages of scriptures, he's not some, some God that's afar off going, oh, well, they're going to do what they're going to do. He says, I have come down to set them free. Justice is on the way for the Hebrews. And Moses will be the one to lead his brothers and sisters out of enslavement in Egypt by the power of the Most High God. This deliverance was God's justice on full display, yet justice comes through a person. The deliverance from enslavement in Egypt was a blow to that snake's head. Moses attempted to be his brother's keeper in his own wisdom before by taking the life of another. But now he will go and deliver his brothers and sisters by the wisdom of God. Yet a greater deliverer for brothers and sisters was to come. Isaiah 9. I ain't going to read it all over again. You just heard it. But what I will say is sometimes we hear this during Christmas time and we go, oh, God's coming as a cute little baby. Yo, the messianic king is coming to rip the kingdom of darkness to shreds. I see you nodding, young man. I see you. He know. Yeah, I see you, bro. He's coming to rip that thing to shreds. He's coming to, let me turn my page. Sorry, I'm all over it. (laughs) To de-root unjust systems of oppression. He's come to weed out the darkness in our individual hearts as well, to crush that snake's head by establishing his kingdom on the earth, to take back what that snake took from humans. He's coming to take back once and for all. Some of us in the church have really emphasized this whole thing about corporate injustice, and that's great. And some of us have really emphasized this whole thing about individual injustice, and that's cool too, but he's came to shatter both of them. And the kingdom of the Messiah is one of justice and righteousness that will prevail from the day of his arrival into eternity. It's a kingdom of righteousness because of the character of the king. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And he executes justice towards evil. This is how the Most High describes himself. And it is a kingdom of justice because of the actions of the king. He mends broken relationships between brothers and sisters. He reconciles humans back to their creator. He offers an alternative way of life that heals us on every single level of our being, both individually and collectively. I don't know if you're hearing me, but that's what the king does. He hears the cries of the blood and he hears the cries of the people throughout the generations of humanity. 
As Christian said earlier, I'm banking my life on that being true. And if it's not, I'm wasting my time. In his kingdom, the citizens understand that they are each other's keepers, and they extend that out into the world. His kingdom will execute justice in a household, in a neighborhood, in a school, in a, in a city, in a state, in a country, in the world, through a person. So who is this king? His name is Yeshua of Nazareth. Luke chapter 4. Yeshua returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the, day, on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll up, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Everyone's eyes in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Yo, this man is a G. Get handed the scroll, open it up, do your whole shebang, close it up, hand it back and say, yeah, this is going off today. I don't know about you. I'll be reading. I'm like, okay, I see you, dog. That king who is compassionate, loving, and faithful is here. He has been sent by the Father to be his brothers and sisters' keeper. As Moses was sent to execute justice by liberating his Hebrew brothers and sisters from oppression in Egypt, Yeshua has been sent to liberate humanity from the oppression of sin, death, and that snake. Starting with the covenantal people and it would spread to the ends of the earth. That is why you and I are here in this room. He has been anointed by the Spirit to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That kingdom of justice and righteousness, yeah, that kingdom is here now. The one who's carrying it on his shoulders, he's shown up and he's proclaiming this whole message of the kingdom. But to who first? The poor, the blind, the oppressed, the imprisoned, those who are on the margins. Yeshua exercises being the keeper of his brother and sister through word and deed. For example, in Matthew 5, verse, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 5 through 7, this man is talking. He's given all of these words. He's unpacking the Torah. It's the most immaculate sermon anybody has ever spoken. And most of the content is about human relationships. Are you with me? It's about, excuse me, it's about reconciling after being angry with a brother or sister. It's about not sexually objectifying a brother or sister for your own pleasure. It's about enemy love. It's about giving to those in need. After he gives all of these words, what does he go do about it? Immediately after in the narrative, he goes to heal a man of leprosy. And then right after that, he's dealing with somebody who's considered his enemy, the commander of the Roman army, which is the oppressors of his people. He heals the servant of such a man and actually praises his enemy's faith in him. Everything he just preached, he's doing. I'm not angry. Let me just clarify that. 
Yo, the king changed the world, Brian. This ain't no game. These words are not just appealing and cool to talk about. This man changed the world through his word and deed. He is the exemplar of justice because he is the essence of it. And everything that he says and does is good, y'all. The gospels are, they form a mosaic of his life. And if you step back, you can see the image that they portray. So how do they portray that he fulfills the call to be his brother and sister's keeper? Now bear with me, because I'm about to get hyped. Are you interested to know how he fulfills the call? He touches and cleanses them of leprosy. He restores the ability to walk, to hear, to see. He forgives their sins while also healing their physical condition. He liberates them from demonic possession. He brings them back to life. He sits and eats with those who are considered sellouts by their own people through taxation with the Roman Empire, but also sits at the table with the people who are on the margins called sinners. This man, he holds their young in his arms. You know them little children that run up here during worship? The kingdom belongs to them. This isn't about, hey, let's just, you know, try to curate. No, the kingdom is theirs. He calls fishers on the Sea of Galilee to become fishers of human beings. He offers a lonely woman at a well access to his living water so she will never thirst again. He gives women, women a primary place in his discipleship community. He reconciles people of polarizing political ideologies such as pro-Rome Matthew the tax collector and also anti-Rome Simon the Zealot and he says you will be each other's keeper and you will change the world through that. Listen. And if he did it then what makes us think he can't do it now? All right, let me, speak in the living water, let me just drink this real quick. Uh, I, I will say this, so come talk to me afterwards if it pisses you off. But we're in a political season. And the culture is watching how this family will interact. Will we keep one another? If he did it then, he will do it today. But you have to live into what he will do. So I'm going to leave that there. He weeps over the unrepentant hearts of Israel's leaders in his day, and he prays day in and day out. He busts the gate wide open to bring Gentiles into communion with the Most High and also with the covenants of people of Israel. All of this was the defeat of the kingdom of darkness and to crush that snake one step at a time. And he was doing so through the care of his brothers and sisters. Yeshua's arrival is the evidence that God has heard the cries of humanity. He's been listening throughout the generations for us to be liberated from sin and death. I'm sick and tired of our city being plagued by sex trafficking, but the man was sent to help remedy that, to crush it on its head. I'm also sick and tired of seeing innocent babies being thrown into a system and forgotten about. So we got organizations like Choice, uh, Choice Adoption where we got people who are saying, hey, I will remedy what is broken in this world with these kids. I'm also sick and tired of us bickering about racism in this country, in this city, and in our neighborhoods. But guess what? He's come to shatter that. But also, we got to live into it. And I'm sick and tired of us 
This whole thing about men and women being at tension since the beginning, he's come to remedy that. Old people and young people, we are a family together. Republicans and Democrats, we are a family together. Coffee drinkers and tea drinkers, we are a family. Okay. Do you understand where I'm coming from? And the reason I'm so riled up about it is because the trajectory of our own lives and the trajectory of this city depends on us not only believing that, but doing something about it. Okay. On the night he was arrested, he went to pray in a garden. Matthew 26. Verse 36, then Yeshua went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I was talking with Tyler last week about this text. And he said, what if, what if his ask for them to watch and like keep, keep and watch with him was his means of asking for his keeper? And that stuck with me. It's like, wow. He, he desired for people to look after him as well. I know that might jostle some of us like, you telling me he needed folks? Like, yeah, he needed community. That's what it means to be human, right? And what's crazy is he modeled for several years what it's like to be another person's keeper, and yet he found himself abandoned by all of his folks in that garden. But that never stopped him from seeing himself as humanity's keeper, which is why he was willing to submit to the Father's will, so much so that he gave his life for these brothers and sisters. He did so to rescue them from an enemy far much worse than the Roman Empire. It's called sin, death, and that snake. Yeshua is the ultimate older brother. You got the Father, Jesus, and the Spirit. If we already have a Father, Jesus ain't our daddy. He's our older brother, but the ultimate one. Cain struck his brother to death out of anger, but Yeshua has brought 
us to life out of love. Moses took the life of an Egyptian brother in order to protect the Hebrew one, but Yeshua gave up his to protect his brothers and sisters. The older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, prodigal son. Yo, like Christian hit me with this this last week and I was like, oh, snap. Think about it. The older brother in this parable, his little brother goes out, takes his inheritance. He starts wilding out. Then he, he comes born on, on back in and then the father runs out, embraces him, has a whole feast. And the older brother is like, yo, I've been here this whole time. I've been obedient. I've done everything I was supposed to do. And you've never thrown a feast for me like this. And the, fa- the father in that parable goes, son, everything I have is yours. But what if Yeshua is the older brother that's like, yeah, they came back. It's time to get it popping. But also, not only am I rejoicing on the return, I'm going to actually go to find them. I'm running out with my father. And not only did they spoil their inheritance, but I'm going to give them mine to share. Also, he's a greater king. But he's also a greater able. Nobody had to take his life. He gave his life. But he's also the one who realizes that he is the keeper of our souls and our bodies, of our whole being. Not only was he dealing with sin and death on that cross, but he was also crushing that snake's head. Justice was being served against that snake. And yet, Yeshua was the innocent one crying out to the Father, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. And his blood spilled into the ground. And you best believe the Father heard the blood of the innocent. So what did he do? He rose him from the dead. The king is back. And he's not going anywhere. And he also has returned back to the Father. He's reigning as king, and he's coming back to finish the deed. That's okay. You with me? Don't clap now. I'm just saying. It's a done deal. Period. And his kingdom is still up and running. What's your name, sister? Hmm? Naomi, you and I are here because the man did what he said he was going to do. Alongside millions of other brothers and sisters in the world, not just these folks in here, right? We've all been called by this man from Nazareth. And throughout the centuries, we have been rescued by him. We are because he is. We are called to be one another's keeper as We follow the way of our rabbi. The call to be a people of justice can only be fleshed out to the full if we are obedient to him. We can usher in justice through word and deed like our rabbi. So let's break it down real quick through through word. What if praying for one another, for our neighborhood, schools, city, what if those are elements of justice? As Gerald just did this whole spiel on, I ain't going to go over it again. There's, There's prayer hubs on Tuesdays in places of historic injustice in the city. That's a way for us to participate in what God is breaking in this city. Places of sex trafficking, places of, uh, of, of displacement of people of color. You can name it. There's things, there are strongholds in our city. And Yeshua says, I want to break them. And a way for us to participate is through our word and prayer. Prayer changes things. You're not talking to a brick wall. You're talking to the one who can actually answer them. Are you with me? 
I ain't gonna lie, I'm feeling a little insecure right now. I don't need you to puff me up. I just need to know that you hear what Yeshua has done and what he's doing in this city. I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm debating on going somewhere really quick. <laughs> Who do you pray for? Pray for yourself. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for those on the streets. Who do you pray for? I'm telling you right now, I know too many young people who have lost their lives this year. And I'm not trying to paint no caricature of the communities that I live in, but I'm telling you right now, prayer needs to happen on behalf of these young people who are not only killing themselves, but they're killing each other in my neighborhood. And I'm sure some of you who live on the far east side of the city, you've heard the shots. When does it end? Part of helping it to end is through us praying for what's going on. Yo, I spent so much time with kids who don't have the resources just to have a simple education. We can sit here and talk, oh, they're so misbehaved. No, they're hungry. They may not be having the attention that they need at home. I've seen it. I used to mentor kids every day. I got young people calling my phone going, Hakeem, I don't know how, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it, bro. I'm ready to end it all. And I'm going, why? What's going on? And just me asking the question was enough for them to go, maybe I should reevaluate because somebody cares. Prayer changes things, yo. Some of you are on the verge of ending your marriage, and people need to pray into that. Some of you are doubting your ability to parent the children the babies that are downstairs, and somebody needs to pray for that. Some of you may be on the verge of getting evicted from a place, but you need somebody to pray for that. Why? Because the one who can answer it sees and hears your cries. But it's words and deed. James 2, verse 14 to 17. We only got seven scriptures, okay? Relax. This is number six. (laughs) What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Listen, um, we can have all the faith in the world in our prayers. They're necessary. But if we actually don't do anything, we have the opportunity to do so. Your faith is dead. That includes me. I've done a lot of jibber-jabbering in my life. And there have been times where I've dropped the ball on actually doing something when I had the means to do it. And sometimes it's not about finances, it's just about presence. It's about presence and prayer, word and deed. That's the way of Yeshua. The man didn't just talk about, oh, one day I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to raise from it. No, the man went to go do it. You and I would not be here if he wasn't a man of word and deed, of prayer and presence. As a church, we have various justice and mercy partners in the areas of education, truth and reconciliation, incarceration, 
houselessness, vulnerable families and individuals, community development and global witness. God has heard the cries and he is answering through these hands and feet on the ground. You don't have to be involved in everything, but you gotta be involved in something. And that's not limited to these partners. Some of you can do it in your business office. Some of you can do it in your neighbor's backyard. You can do it at a park. You can do it in your car. You can do it on a bike. Wherever you are, the Spirit of God is present if he lives in you. And you don't have to go to a specific place like this building on 21st and Tillamook. You can go anywhere in the presence of God. Can Are you with me? Because justice comes through a person. I may not... Let me just make one thing clear real quick. I'm trying to, okay. There are people who don't follow Yeshua who live out justice. Because they're made in the image. Everybody has the inkling to do something when they know something has gone wrong. There's things in our wider culture that he would say yes to. And there's things he would say no to. But there's also things in the church that he would say those same things about. There are aspects in our, cult- in, our, in our culture and churches that we need to discern. And the discernment is whether or not we are caring for one another. The distinction is that his call is that in him justice is accomplished to the full. In every level, on every aspect of society. Anybody can go feed a hungry belly, and that's necessary, but only he can feed the body and the soul. In our witness to the culture, yo, okay, sorry, I'll just keep going. I got a couple minutes. All right. There is no plan B. I heard David Platt say that one time, and I was like, what is he talking about? Then I listened, I said, oh, the ch- this is it. What he's done with Jews and Gentiles and made a family and now has been proclaiming the kingdom ever. This is it. The larger world is watching. If we practice being one another's key, I need you. I need you to make it through this whole journey with Yeshua. And you need me. There's no such thing as following him in silo you will wither away because you are, it is, in, it is inherent for every believer in the body to be stitched together as a living organism. And your part of the body is necessary for my well-being and my part of the body is necessary for your well-being. Here's a real life testament. Okay, gee, I don't know where I'm going, but there's this. Uh, I was on the verge of not being able to pay my rent for the remainder of the year and the top of the year. I'm worried about my babies and my wife having a roof over their head. And all I had to do was say something and brothers and sisters did something about it. Had that not been a thing, I would wither away as a man. Think about my kids. I'm supposed to be the one that makes sure that they're good, right? But I can't do it by myself all the time. I need y'all. Okay, let me just wrap up, y'all. I'm sorry. 
When our faith is accompanied by our actions, we are participating in the crushing of the snake. For every dollar that we give cheerfully, to every hug that we offer, to every word of encouragement that we utter, to every helping hand that we extend, it is all ripping the kingdom of darkness to shreds. So what actions will you take this week? I don't know what this week holds for me, but I anticipate waking up with my son, making his oatmeal, and him asking me to play with his little toy sharks. He'll look at me and go, Daddy, swim. (laughs) And being his keeper will require me to put my phone down and swim that little great white shark (laughs) because that's what justice looks like towards my two-and-a-half-year-old right now. I can anticipate kissing my pregnant wife's belly and just whispering to my unborn daughter, Daddy's got you. And that will require me, in order to be her keeper, is to go to work, work hard, but also, that's the deed, but also to pray for her growing body in the womb. I can anticipate telling my wife, hey, I see you and I appreciate you, to affirm everything that she's doing for my household. But being her keeper will require me to apologize when I drop the ball. Like I do often. And um, I anticipate having a phone call with a young person this week who's trying to express their pains and joys and questions, and all they need for me to do is just to listen, and that's what it looks like to be their keeper. I'm always crying up here, bro. Um, I anticipate praying for the houseless for the orphans, for the sex trafficked, for the refugees fleeing their country into this place. But to be their keeper, it will require me to actually put my hands and feet where needed and to put my money where my mouth is. I don't know what else may come, and I'm gonna drop the ball on plenty of those things, but I will strive to be my brother and sister's keeper this week. So what about you? It's the simple things and the complex things. This is how we help bring remedy to the world outside of the garden. We may be outside, but we are headed to something far greater, and this is where we're land, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great city, the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations.
will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. That's gross. Um, will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. There is coming a day when he's coming to fix it all. I'm banking on it. We need need healing, y'all. I need this. Thank you. (laughs) No more tears, no more death, no more sickness, no more suicide, no more gun violence, none of that. I'm tired of having the phone calls. I'm sick of it. So I'm banking on this to be true. I'm living in harmony for, for once as brothers and sisters in the kingdom with the one who was, who is, and will be our keeper. And we will care for one another for eternity, not because we're in need, but because we just love each other. And while we're on the side of eternity, we participate in the mission to bring justice through practicing what we preach. So what acts of justice are you being invited into this week?